Yo, it's Julian on the Brown Notes and a review of, well, Peter Jackson since the um, Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, like, he's had a weird sort of relationship with uh, cinema. He did The Lovely Bones, didn't he? And he did King Kong. So they were pretty major films. But um, obviously The Hobbit, he didn't want to do The Hobbit. Um, and that showed, I think, he just didn't want to direct it. Um, but it was, yeah, $3 billion films, so... But since then, he's sort of reinvented himself as a found footage director. He had an enormous amount of claim for um, a colorized World War One documentary, and he's come back now with um, the Beatles Get Back, an eight-hour documentary. It was supposed to be much shorter, and he was given access to sixty hours, I think, of um, very high-quality film uh, of the Beatles. So, um, and I think one hundred and forty hours of audio as well which no one's really seen before. And it it was basis of Lindsay, uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg had uh, filmed The Beatles and it was basically, The Beatles were post the White Album, they were very fragmented and they were close to the end and they weren't getting on, uh, lots of problems. And they decided their next project would be to uh, go away from overdubs and all being in separate rooms and make a live Records, so they would write a whole load of songs which they only played live, no overdubs, uh, and just in you know the whole band playing at once. And at the end, they would do their first gig for two years, and it would be this huge extravaganza on TV. And they gave themselves something like two, two or three weeks to do this. It was insane. And they went to uh, Twickenham Studios, and they uh, one of their um, Apple was their um, company they set up and the, the company was financing a film that was being directed at the same site. It's the guy had rented out Twickenham Studios to make this um, film. So there's lots of really big sets, lots of um, big square rooms that people fill out to make films. And um, they basically gave one to the Beatles to do the um, the songwriting and the preparation for this. Now, it all went horribly wrong and the uh, all of their animosity and distantness and alienation from each other and Yoko being there and struggling to make the music has become part of Beatles folklore and the clips from the film uh, that Lindsay Hogg released, eventually uh, it went from being called Get Back to the album Let It Be, which itself was never finished at the time. It was finished sometime later with Phil Spector in a highly controversial manner, moving completely away from the ethos of doing it without overdubs. He just lashed strings all over it, and the original producer called it garbage. Uh, and then they released a stripped-down version uh, closer to the original, which is um, kind of um, what they intended and um, the the footage of Let It Be as well, and the band, and people like George Harrison arguing with Paul McCartney, has become part of Beatles folklore. That towards the end, everything went wrong, and it was a sad end to the band and their friendships and so on. But this documentary does the most amazing thing: it shoots that to pieces. So everything, like it's true to say that all of that happened, and George Harrison left the band, and there was a lot of animosity, and you can feel the tension in the room. Uh, and it's not nice but it doesn't tell the story of that being the first third of the experience the next two-thirds of the experience were some of the happiest you will ever see a band in the studio where they are enormously good friends again 
the atmosphere is completely changed and they have a wonderful near near the end of their experience together as the Beatles they look like they're having more fun than they've ever had and it completely reframes the entirety of that end of the Beatles this wasn't a torturous experience it was a torturous experience followed by an ecstatic experience and that never made it through Lindsay Hogg's film so what you get here is you get uh, two halves the first episode is when they've moved into Twickenham in the film stage and it's too big it sounds everyone says it sounds horrible it's not a place to make music and the band are distant from each other and have you know got alienated over the years uh george harrison wants to have his um respect and isn't getting it and it and yoko sits there in silence and there's this um apparently the two things that aren't covered probably in this sequence is how much the rest of the band baited yoko that's left out of the film and john lennon's heroin addiction at this point because he's nodding off on camera he's a, a ghost you wonder why he's even there um and at the end of it george harrison quits he just gets up and walks out he's like i'm leaving the band i'm going uh, and he and um then the uh, the band engage in this amazingly raucous nirvana like live session with yoko on vocals and it's a watershed moment because at that moment they decide the ridiculous constraints they've put on themselves of finishing this album and then having this huge worldwide live tv spectacle with a live performance and you know having like 14 days to get there it's just crazy and it's ruining their lives so the following week they just ditch it all and they go to the apple studios which they've newly built this intimate cozy sound friendly environment and the mood is so different and that's the next two of the three episodes is them having the time of their lives reconnecting as friends being funny engaged uh the whole time they're playing hundreds of different songs they started life in hamburg as a cover band that used to play eight hours a night uh and they in their encyclopedic knowledge of old rock and roll is breathtaking and they just run through just hundreds of songs as well as formative versions of songs like get back and let it be and don't let me down and you know older songs that they've done plus an awful lot of music being recorded by the band at this point is stuff that will crop up later in the uh, solo careers of harrison and uh, lennon and mccartney and some pretty famous songs the um, road to marrakesh is obviously jealous guy one of uh, lennon's most famous songs it's got a different lyric at this stage in fact get back has a lyric which is incredibly against enoch powell the far-right fascist leader in the uk and suddenly the uh, chorus of get back to where you once belong makes complete sense because uh, the original verses or the verses that they trial are about uh, pakistanis and puerto ricans and taking this satirical point of um, basically mocking enoch powell and the anti-immigrant movement in and the anti the anti-immigrant movement in america as well uh, it's very political really like really full-on so um, and what's it like as a film so the, so they go through the um recording process in the next studio billy preston a friend of theirs from before fame uh, an african-american keyboard player that used to be in little richard's touring band and met them in hamburg before they were famous shows up and because they won't do overdubs they're continually moaning about them not having a keyboard player and having to put down the guitar and start playing the piano or whatever and he joins them and it's just a match made in heaven it was completely fortuitous that it happened 
and his electric piano on Don't Let Me Down and Let It Be and other songs is iconic. Uh, and the whole thing culminates not with them doing some ridiculous live TV special, but let's, let's go up on the roof and play a gig. And right up until the end, they don't even really know what songs they're playing. They don't even know if it's a good idea. Paul McCartney's sort of jumping up and down on the roof to see if it'll take their weight. And the police turn up and it all goes horribly, brilliantly, perfectly wrong. Uh, it's magnificent. So as a film, there's the, the, the only flaw really is the fact that um, uh, eight hours, uh, you could trim several hours off of it. You're spending time in the room with the Beatles, but the, there's compelling hours which are so compelling that you kind of think, well, you you could have made this into, say, a four or four-hour documentary that was virtually thrilling because they go through all these stages and you're just like, oh, my God. And the rest of the time you are is repetitively spending time with them doing a 100 versions of Don't Let Me Down, uh, Don't Let Me Down, doing that over and over and not being able to get it right, not being able to find their way to the song, um, and they, I don't think they needed to have that in there, but um, it is um, it, it's still um, thrillingly weird. It is one of the most surreal experiences because no one has spent time with the Beatles like that, apart from people that knew them. There isn't anything, there's no footage we've had, which is them, you know, half an hour at a time sitting in a room talking. It is such a surreal experience. Because they are so the Beatles in those moments. It's like, you know, you can imagine in the, in the clips that have become famous over the years, the millions of clips that have become famous over the years. But this is just them just, you know, sometimes angry at each other, sometimes just larking about or playing tunes. And, for, you know, writing music. And you hear, like, there's a wonderful... They're, like, the magical moments are really the things that stand out. Ringo Starr's chatting to... Uh, the director and the show, and he just trails off and he's just like listening and in the background Paul McCartney's playing the formative piano version of Let It Be and at the end he just goes I could listen to Paul play piano for an hour and their moments like that are just breathtaking just so incredible um, so I would probably have cut a few hours out but it's still spending time with the Beatles in a way that no one has ever done no one's ever had such an intimate portrait. And the other thing is, it's, so, it's very meta. They discuss themselves. They discuss them making the film, but they also discuss themselves to a degree that is gobsmacking. I mean, it's really gobsmacking to just have Paul McCartney sit there and say, it will be such a joke if in 50 years' time people blame Yoko Ono for splitting up the Beatles because she sat on an amplifier. And you're just like... And they talk like there's a brilliant bit where... After George Harrison's quit, um, very cheekily, the filmmaker sticks a microphone in a flower pot when Lennon and McCartney go for lunch together. And they talk about everything. They talk about, you know, it's like McCartney saying, oh, you're the boss, you know. And he's like, no, I'm not. You are. You've been like this. And he's like, yeah, I know. I've been too much. I'm, you know, we need a, a father figure. And because Brian Epstein had, had died, their manager had died. Um, and I, I've been trying to do it, but I'm just too overbearing on George. You know, I keep, I don't want him to feel like I'm bullying him, but I, I know I come across. It's like you're just going, what the? Um, and and the fact that there's this whole payoff after the first really dismal three hours that it goes into this wonderful world of them being very reconnected, Lennon and McCartney gazing lovingly at each other when they're playing and working out bits of songs and 
how the relationship between Paul and George just completely changes into a good one, how happy Billy Preston is. He sits there with this grin on his face. He's like, oh, with the Beatles. And you're just with him. Just go, yeah, I know. It's amazing. Um, and it's just incredible, the moments, like on the roof, the last ever song that they play. They're playing a live version of Get Back, and they're ebullient throughout this set. Three of the version, three of the songs I recorded on the roof of the, uh, the versions on the albums. And it's very handy that Peter Jackson puts up the songs, and he will say, oh, this is the version that's on the album, so you can actually watch them recording it. But the very final one, they're doing Get Back, and it's um, their road manager's getting terrified by the police who've just had enough. And he sort of reaches over, and he turns off uh, George Harrison and uh, John Lennon sharing an amplifier. And Ringo and Paul McCartney are like, yeah, whatever. And they carry on playing Get Back without skipping a beat. And George Harrison just glowers at the road manager and just turns it back on. And they just finish. And you think, that's their last ever live song. It was so cool. And uh, it's a shame they don't show it. But a few hours later, they went downstairs and recorded Let It Be. It's just, it, like, it doesn't make sense. It was so cool. But yeah, it's way, way, way too long. It really doesn't need to repeat so many things so many times because you're not gaining anything. It would have been a better documentary had they shorn three hours off. So I'm going to give Get Back an essential view for anyone that wants to... Um, to re it redefines the final years of the Beatles into being something completely different. And the idea that, like, they were so close after that horrible period and they had i've never seen a band making music in a studio that was so ebullient and they were dancing and they were laughing their heads off and wearing silly outfits and bringing even yoko is like singing along with them by this stage i mean i can understand why she was put on in the first third of the documentary and she's silent it's horrible because they were like that to each other so let alone to someone's um you know partner being brought into this horrific situation but wonderful wonderful stuff so eight and a half out of ten because it is so overlong but still it's magical so eight and a half out of ten to get back this is the weekend and i heard you're married